0: Did you hear Drake's post game con-, con? No, um, I didn't.
1: No, I. Did. Okay, oh, well, I watched the post oh, game a little bit, but I did not catch anything about Drake. I.
0: Oh, now you need Carlos, to tell me, tell me the. Words. So he he starts going on about how poetic it is, you know, oh, the Lord. sixth and six. Was it God's right? plan? And no, Was he didn't get to plan? that. But then he started talking about. It. He's like, I like my chips. He's like, but I want my chips with dip. And
1: are like <laughs> this is why this man is. All- I don't care. I refuse to acknowledge his quote unquote music career. He is the the Degrassi kid.
0: I refuse to acknowledge anything further. And it's like, it's like, what? I was like, just stop talking. Like, (laughs) just stop talking. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's not about you.
1: You are now listening to episode 20, yes, I said 20, of the Unnecessary Nonsense podcast. The podcast of two unqualified idiots rambling on sports topics they likely know nothing about for an indeterminate timeline. Brought to us this week by Historical Moments, which will come into play in a couple of minutes here. So I'm Carlos Alcazar, and not with me at the moment, but will be joining me shortly through the power of editing, will be my co-host Dave Turnbull. So we are going to, not surprisingly, I'm recording this on a Friday... I'm about 24 hours removed from the start of game six of the NBA Finals, which resulted in the first championship outside of the United States. The first non US NBA champion, the Toronto Raptors, defeated the Golden State Warriors by the score of 114 110. And don't let the score fool you, the last couple of moments were a little bit dramatic, but we'll talk about that a little bit more once we get into the conversation about it. However, I would be remiss if I ignored the other championship that was decided this week, where the St. Louis Blues won their first Stanley Cup in franchise history over the Boston Bruins, Off of a 32-save performance from Jordan Binnington. An incredible performance, really, because if uh, you had a chance to see the game, you really saw a Boston team that was determined to try to win Game 7 and a Jordan Binnington who was determined not to allow it. Boston horrifically outshot St. Louis, especially in the first two periods where they were able to Effectively outshoot them by a margin of 12 to 4 in the first period and 11 to 6 in the second period. Through two periods, they were already at 23 shots for Boston to only 10 to St. Louis. They barely reached double digits in shots, and St. Louis was winning the game. That's really what it came down to is that Boston was able to get shots off, but St. Louis was efficient in the sense that they were able to take the few shots they got and were able to get on the scoreboard. The third period was even, 10 shots apiece bringing the total differential, 33 shots for Boston to 20 for St. Louis. So that was flattering. The third period is really what kind of helped it. It evened it out a little bit. But otherwise, if you just take it from the perspective of opportunities, Boston seemed to be dominating that game, but Jordan Bennington was the difference. So I want to talk about the Stanley Cup a little bit first. And then I'm going to also talk about my experience watching UFC 238 last weekend, which was an excellent card. So I'll talk about those two things. And then I'll kind of uh, splice in a conversation that Dave and I had talking about the Toronto Raptors. So Dave, as uh, his Raptor fandom has grown throughout this playoff run, will have some opinions on his feelings about how the, uh, how the series itself turned out and a lot of the little things that came of it. Another interesting element that comes from the NBA Finals, and we'll talk about more of that in a little bit, is... All the subplots that come from it. So obviously the Raptors winning their first NBA championship is a big notable thing in and of itself. Great for the franchise, great for the fan base, and expanding basketball into the international markets. Obviously they've got a team here, but it's a completely different story when you've got a championship. It just takes it to another level. Obviously now that kind of takes us into the NBA offseason, but the game itself also had some other outcomes as far as injury and the implications that that has going into the next NBA season. So, a couple of things to talk about for sure. As always, one other thing I'll make note of. If you've never heard the podcast before, thank you for listening. And you can check us out on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. We also have a YouTube channel that you can find by Unnecessary Nonsense Podcast. Just type that in and you'll find usually um, archived uh, versions of our podcasts, as well as sometimes when a big event happens, I will record a video or at least an audio version And it'll be published on the YouTube channel. So you can always check that out with a static image of our faces in cartoon form. So you can enjoy that. Now, let me add a few more points about the Stanley Cup final. So kind of an important, you know, kind of side story to this. I mentioned on previous podcasts that I had trouble really getting that enthusiastic about this matchup. Just because, although the St. Louis story was interesting and, you know, kind of rooting against Boston a little bit also kind of added an element to it. The matchup itself really wasn't that intriguing for me. Regardless of who won, it wasn't going to be that much of an exciting moment. With that said, for the St. Louis fans, I I can say confidently that they've earned it as much as any other fan base. The St. Louis Blues were the last of the post-original six teams to never have won a Stanley Cup. A little bit of history here is probably a little bit helpful. The St. Louis Blues joined the NHL as part of the very first expansion class, as I said. That happened in 1967 expansion, along with the Minnesota North Stars, who then became the Dallas Stars, winning the Stanley Cup as the Dallas Stars. The Los Angeles Kings, who have won the Stanley Cup in recent years. The Philadelphia Flyers, who won a couple of cups in the 70s. The Pittsburgh Penguins, who won, a couple of, who won three cups in the last decade or so. So they've been a pretty good team, and a couple of uh, cups in the 90s with Mary Lemieux. And the California Golden Seals were kind of a funny story in and of their own because although the Seals never won a championship either, they did become the Cleveland Barons, who also never won anything, but they did end up merging with the Minnesota North Stars. So again, we're back to the Dallas Stars and that Stanley Cup. So in reality, St. Louis was the only of these first expansion franchises who went up until this point without having won a Stanley Cup in some iteration or some variation. The significance of this championship comes about from the fact that in the early years after the original six era ended and you added six more teams to the league, they had, they had set it up in a way where the expansion teams could basically kind of play against each other. The end result is by having a, a division there for those teams, it meant that one of them would get to the Stanley Cup final every year. And for the first three years of that format, it was the St. Louis Blues. So they would get to the Stanley Cup Finals. And come, part of that came from, as I said, an aging core of veterans. So they had a goaltending tandem. So in the first season, they had Glenn Hall. And then in the second and the third attempts, they had kind of a goaltending tandem of Glenn Hall as well as the last, you know, waning moments of Jacques Plante's career. And what's interesting about that is that they were still both fairly good goaltenders, and they were platooning, especially in the last couple of years. But you have to think, in the third of those three cup runs, Jacques Plant was 41 and Glenn Hall was 38. So it was really very much the end of their careers. They, They were a part of the team and they were great contributors to it, but it was an aging squad as far as the goaltending was concerned and some of the other players that played there but they were good enough to get to the cup finals and they were being coached by Scotty Bowman. Obviously, Scotty Bowman would go on to have some great success in the rest of the 70s with the Montreal Canadiens, who were the team that also coincidentally happened to victimize the St. Louis Blues in a couple of those attempts. And up until, well, I should say, after those first couple of years going into this year's playoff season, the most success the St. Louis Blues had ever had, really, with, uh, with a whole ton of crushing playoff defeats The most memorable moment in their playoff history was the famous image of Bobby Orr, you know, kind of being tripped and then falling, you know, Superman style in front of the net as the Boston Bruins scored to win the Stanley Cup, I believe it was in 1970. Not an illustrious history, even though the St. Louis Blues made the playoffs 42 times. So if you think about the track record going from 1968 onward, 42 playoff appearances is incredibly impressive. But at the same time, Up until this year, up until this playoff run, they had not been to the Cup Final again since those first three years of their expansion existence, and they had never won a single Stanley Cup Final game. And that's the historical significance of it, something really kind of crazy if you think about it from the St. Louis fan standpoint. And that doesn't even take into account my personal favorite story about the St. Louis Blues and what could have been. In the early 1980s, I think around 82 or 83... The St. Louis Blues were almost sold to a group that was intending to build an arena in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, of all places. And the deal was done in the sense that they had agreed to sell it to them. But the Board of Governors rejected the deal, 15-3 to 3 at the time, citing that they felt Saskatoon was not big enough or financially stable enough to support an NHL team. So if it wasn't for the Board of Governors intervening, it's very possible that in the early 1980s, the St. Louis Blues could have become the the Saskatoon Blues or whatever else they would have called it, which would have been kind of crazy if you really think about it in context. I don't know if such a team in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada would have survived, especially in the early 90s when the Canadian dollar put a big hindrance on a lot of Canadian franchises. And you can ask the... Former, former Winnipeg Jets, and former Quebec Nordique fans about the impact that that had. But it is interesting to think that in the early 1980s, it was a real possibility there could have been another Canadian team in the NHL at that time, and it came very close uh, were it not for a Board of Governors vote. With all that baggage from the franchise, it is an incredible accomplishment for them to have suc- succeeded and been able to have this improbable playoff run. As far as the Stanley Cup final is concerned, that's really all I have to say about it. Congratulations to the St. Louis Blues. Congratulations to their fans. And congratulations to one other person that I will kind of mention as another little side story that I thought was kind of interesting. If I can, I'll try to add a link to the show notes that hopefully will cite an article. If I can find an article, I'm sure I can. But uh, there's a gentleman named Scott A. Berry, who became kind of famous as a result of the Stanley Cup final, who ended up In his recounting of the story, he ended up in Las Vegas on business, and I don't remember at what point during the season, but this was when the St. Louis Blues were, maybe when they were in last place or when they were having some struggles, he came across a sports book that was willing to take a wager on the St. Louis Blues to win the Stanley Cup at 250 to one odds, which is obviously astronomical, so you don't really have to put much of a wager to potentially have a huge payout. So he decided to take a, a bet of $400, which they accepted, at 250 to 1 odds. And obviously, now that we know the outcome, it turns out that his ticket, and, he, and I'll give him credit for this, because the temptation to hedge such a bet, because there are avenues where you can sell a ticket like that prior to the outcome happening and kind of hedge your bets, that was a $100,000 ticket. Now I don't remember the exact number but I believe he turned down an offer of 30 or 40,000 which you know is clearly a lot of money for a lot of folks but I guess he really felt he really decided to stick with his guns on that one and you know his conviction ended up paying off. Congratulations to Scott A. Berry on a winning ticket of a proportion that we can only dream about. Imagine hitting a 250 to 1 shot in anything very impressive. So there are a lot of little side stories with the St. Louis uh, Blues, you know, victory, aside from the the team on the ice, certainly. As far as the series is concerned, going to seven games uh, is kind of a classic Stanley Cup final, certainly. I didn't watch enough to really get a sense of uh, the flow of the series. I will say game seven definitely had the drama to it, given, like I said, the way that Boston outshot St. Louis. But nonetheless, Another Boston team came very, very close within one game of winning another championship. So at least the St. Louis Blues spared us that for at least a couple of months before the next Boston team takes a stab at it. With all that said, I think I'd like to say a few words about UFC 238. An excellent card. I ended up ordering it at home and watching. I will say that if you have the opportunity... I'm not going to go recapping through all the fights, but all I'm going to say to you is that it was an excellent card. It's definitely worth a rewatch if you're able to go and find some of the fights on there. But even if you can't do that, my suggestion to you, when you see a card like this, the UFC is very good at building these cards from time to time where there is plenty of, even if even if you don't worry about star power, styles do make fights, and the opportunity for really interesting fights was there. Look at the, whenever you're considering it, look at the undercard. Don't just look at the headliners. Look at the undercard and look at the possibilities. And if you don't want to shell out the money, sometimes the earlier prelims sometimes can have some of the fights of the night. So as I said, I'm not going to go through the whole card, but if you get a chance, go and check out some highlights from the Tony Ferguson fight and go and check out the knockout from Valentina Shevchenko on Jessica I is one of the craziest head kicks you're going to see it's now if you're uh, if you're a little bit squeamish you're going to see you're going to see someone go down like a tree falling in the forest so if that's not the kind of thing that you're okay with then forget it what i said but otherwise if you're a fight fan you're not going to see a much more devastating one shot knockout than that head kick so you can definitely check that one out but UFC 238, worth every penny in my opinion, a good card. And if you have UFC Fight Pass, probably within the next month or two, you'll be able to recap the whole card if you didn't order the pay-per-view in the first place. But you should have. It was a good one. Now, one other thing I didn't mention in the early preamble, but I will make a quick note of it here, is that even though we didn't get a chance to really talk about it much today, the uh, CFL season did kick off, so the Hamilton Ticats did win the first game of the season. We'll probably try to include right in the agenda next week to start talking a little bit about the CFL because, you know, it gives us a little football content during the summer months. Jays are still not really super impressive. They're playing okay, you know, but they're playing like a team of a lot of young players. So they're going to have their moments. They're going to have their ups and their downs. But the uh, CFL season does give us a little bit extra to talk about, and there's our, you know, Canadian content. So now without further ado, I think let's talk about that NBA Finals. So I'm going to throw it to myself from the future, talking to my co-host Dave about the NBA Finals, kind of his thoughts, my thoughts, and some of the storylines that we're going to be able to really break down and parse out over the next couple of months that I think are going to keep the NBA relevant. I think the NBA is not done pulling headlines because now they're pretty much a year-round thing. So the conversation I'm having with Dave about the NBA Finals and the first championship for the Toronto Raptors. So, I'll make the editor's note here in the conversation itself. Unfortunately, Dave professed his love for Kawhi, agreed to name his children after Kawhi. A lot of really, you know, emotional things happened but the recorder didn't work. So, we'll just pretend that it worked. Dave, the Toronto Raptors won the 2019 NBA Championship. We totally didn't have this conversation starting about 45
0: minutes ago. What do you think? Honestly, Carlos, I'm ecstatic. <laughs> Still? Still? Uh, yeah, I lo- a lot more tired than I was the first time I told you that. But I- I'm so happy. I'm so happy for Kyle Lowry and 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 everything that he's represented for the team. And I'm excited because watching this playoff run has rekindled the love of basketball that I forgot I actually had. You know, I remember as a kid playing NBA Jam, and, and that was my first into basketball. Well,
1: did you get the NBA Jam story. The first, what
0: the- do you have any idea how much I love NBA Jam? You bastard. You worthless. Sorry, man. Ah, Continue the NBA Jam. Keep going. No, but I mean, I remember like some of my best memories from my childhood are, are playing basketball with other people outside and playing NBA Jam inside. Now, I was never been a good basketball player. The only thing I was ever decent at was rebounding. And that was only when I was like slightly above average height. And that only lasted for maybe like a couple of months. So I suck at basketball. I can't play basketball very well. But that never stopped me from playing or enjoying it. Except for the fact that I always freaking roll my ankle pretty much every time I played. But anyway, the point is, I remember seeing games at Skydome with with the Raptors when they first came in. In the early era. And, and I'm excited about and And, you know, I, there were times where I went to a lot of basketball games and didn't. And times where I was really into it and not. But I really feel that this whole playoff run has really rekindled a love of basketball that I've had. And, you know, made me want to follow it more, want to listen to it more, want to want to get the takes from, you know, the commentators and follow the draft and watch the draft. And, you know, and obviously this free agency period, which is going to be really great. But honestly, it's just so great to see the country come together and everything like that. You know, last night, my mom was involved stage managing a play. And I went to that because I knew it was going to be over basically before most of the game happened. Hold on.
1: I'm not, letting the, I'm not letting the reference go because we got it the first time. Stage manager. Oaks! Just for you.
0: Go on. So, you know, I come out of the theater. It's in downtown Burlington. About where Central Library is, if anybody knows where that is, in Burlington, Ontario. And I walk out and I could hear the crowd at Spencer Smith Park. And I was like, okay. And, and you know, I, I, I debated about going there, but my wife was still up. So I wanted to make sure that I, I spent some time with her and watched the game with her as much as I could. So I went home, and then I couldn't leave because I was just so ingrained into it, but also so stressed out that in order to calm down at one point in time, let's say halftime, I went and started putting IKEA furniture together for a brief period of time. What? IKEA furniture? That should stress you out more. Well, it kind of did, but at the same time, it took my mind away from the game enough that I could kind of take a moment and then come back to it and... There you have it. And
1: this is where I made a a joke about Alan Keyes that was much funnier the first time. you just have to take my word for it. It was really good. It was beautifully timed. Please continue.
0: Yeah, so I'm pumped. I'm excited. I'm loving it. Kawhi is a legend no matter what he wants to do now. The other person I want to give kudos to, which I didn't the first time, but I'm going to now, I freaking love Serge Ibaka. I love the way that guy plays. I love the heart he has. And I honestly, just the way he played in this series for the limited amount of time he got... Like, I told my brother, I had the text message. I said, I want some Raptors jerseys before you quit sport check while you still have the discount. And I want an Ibaka jersey.
1: Okay, so for everybody, for folks listening, the reason why we kind of had to repeat part of what we talked about the first time is because we had a little bit of a technical difficulty. The recorder seemed to be recording. We had a good conversation talking about a lot of the things that Dave just went through, and then I complained about the float about the NBA. I did a grumpy old man thing, and we, we're we're gonna talk. I'm gonna quickly highlight a couple of the points. But before I do, I wanna make I wanna make two quick points. Maybe I should just drag Dave into like multiple hour podcasts because first of all, we did not get NBA Jam the first time, which hurts me hurts my soul personally. And secondly, not one mention of Serge Ibaka, which is now in which is now in the thing, Serge. Anyway, for this for this man, got it for prosperity. Serge has gotten his shout-out. We also had a shout-out for Max Kellerman, who correctly predicted the outcome of the finals. We had that. And I will make a quick point of a couple of trivia items for everybody. 15.9 million viewers watched it in, in the realm of Canada. 44% of the Canadian population. Very impressive. And then we'll briefly, briefly, briefly talk about the injury thing because it's still relevant, but I want to quickly gloss through it. Before I do, though, Kudos and props to Kawhi Leonard for making three clutch free throws right at the end of the game. Because, to me, that was really changed the game because it was a one-point game, just so we're clear. In the closing sequence, after uh, Steph Curry missed you know, his shot attempt with about eight seconds left, and Kawhi Leonard was trying to dribble the ball away, it ended up being captured by Golden State. And I think it was uh, Draymond Green, I think, who tried to call the timeout. Is that right, Dave? Yes. Yeah. So Draymond Green tried to call a timeout. They did not have any timeouts, which resulted in a technical foul. And then we talked about the nuances of NBA rules where the inbound pass resulted in no time going off the clock. So with 0.9 seconds on the clock, Kawhi Leonard was foul, resulting in two shots, but no time came off the clock because the foul occurred prior to him getting the ball into his hands. So the clock actually didn't technically move. But it took an incredibly long time to decide that by staring at the replays. Which is, uh, which is one unfortunate thing about the closing sequence of the NBA because they have a talent for taking the last 30 seconds of a game and making the last 25 minutes, if that's what they want to do. And that's maybe something they should work on. I have no idea how they would change that, but it's something they should probably look into. So, so true. So we already talked about Masai Ujiri, which you'll hear momentarily. Through the magic of editing, the conversation that happened before will now happen after. It's very
0: magical. So the, it, the allegedly that he, that he got in an altercation with a police officer from Alameda County right that he tried to get on the court after they won because obviously he's an official and he's part of the team he didn't have his credential so he said you can't go on he tried to shove him he's the deputy he stopped him again said no Then he shoved him harder and made contact with his face to the point where the the police service there is pursuing charges against him uh, and then it, it also a few years earlier when he got on stage and he said fuck Brooklyn I don't know if you remember that or not. Vaguely. Uh before before a series with Brooklyn, in which Brooklyn won. Obviously Musiah Jiri is great at his job, right? And every time I've heard him speak, I've like like I have respect for the man. But there's this like professionalism part that doesn't always compute, that doesn't always come through. I mean, yes, you're part of the team, but you can't be shoving police officers. Right? So, you know, the team hasn't commented on it yet. Uh, I know that the police service uh, the police like the Alameda Police have uh, forwarded to the district attorney. so we'll see whether they actually go through with, with pressing charges and, and where that goes. That could make it interesting for next year because the rumor is out there that the wizards want him and are willing to give him an ownership stake to get him.
1: That was a big rumor going around ownership stake potentially and a $10 million dollar year offer.
0: So we'll see what happens with that. Apparently there's been no obviously there hasn't been any contact between the wizards and Messiah yet. We'll see what happens. But I'm curious as to where this him shoving the police officer story goes. Now I know I know the law in Canada. I don't obviously know the law to the same extent in the United States, but in Canada it's its own charge if you assault a police officer. Right? There's like assault and then which is a charge obviously. And then assaulting a police officer is a separate charge. It's more significant. So I'm curious as to to where that's going to go, what's going to happen with that, and if the team actually ever has anything to say on it. Because, I don't know, there's just these things that potentially put a tarnish on the whole thing in some way, shape, or form.
1: No, that's fair. I think, to be 100% honest with you, I think what's going to end up happening is that they're going to pursue it to a certain degree, but right now it would be kind of (laughs) – unless – the unless the officer, because I think it was a deputy. Unless the yeah, deputy, so why really, a deputy. Unless the deputy really wants to get into a whole media thing. Unless the deputy is like horrifically injured. If you're if you've got an if you've got an injury, then you may as well just sue the guy for damages. But as far as charges are concerned, it it probably doesn't really warrant much effort. I will agree from what I read about the story. I agree that they have the right to ask for credentials. Remember, we talked about with Drake the conversation about Drake. Not everybody and their brother should be able to get onto the court, even after you win a championship. That doesn't give you a free pass to walk on the court. If I don't know who the hell you are, it doesn't matter if you're Masai Ujiri, the famous Masai Ujiri. If I don't know who the hell you are and you don't have any credentials, then to, to be honest, Masai could have accomplished the same task. I'm going to give Masai and the deputy the benefit of the doubt that the deputy was probably may have been overzealous. But at the same time, Masai could have resolved this by saying, "Okay, hold on," and then wave to one of his players to ask him to come over, because there there's somebody to vouch for you. You don't, yeah. you don't have to. You can stand there and just wait and get one of the players or one of the members of your team, any members of your staff, anyone can come over, vouch for you, and then you got your free pass in. Exactly. So it, there is ways to to accomplish what he wanted to accomplish without having to touch anybody. So it's just it's it's something to bear in mind. It's it's a reality. So it'll be interesting to see. And as far as the offer from Washington comes in, I will say that even if Washington offers you an ownership stake and $10 million, which is a lot of money, I feel like you could just leverage this to get more money from Toronto because I feel like unless Kawhi leaves and a bunch of other people leave and you really think that you're going to have to blow it up and start over again, Washington is really no better situated to be any good next year necessarily.
0: True, but that ownership if that ownership stake is really part of it, you know, that's something that could could seal the deal potentially. It, it could be interesting. Right, because that that changes things.
1: I will say that an ownership stake in an NBA team is is interesting because it's a good investment because NBA teams have tended to inflate in value the way the NBA is running their business model. But I will say the Washington Wizards are probably gonna suck no matter who runs them. Because the Wizards have shown no capability to actually improve enough to be relevant. Aside from financially, financially, I think it would be a fantastic deal. I just don't know if it would matter anywhere other than financially. Fair enough. But before we leave this topic, injuries. Obviously, I talked at length about the Kevin Durant injury, the long-term ramifications. Obviously, he's not going to be available next season. So that affects a lot of teams' plans potentially. Would the New York Knicks have gotten him? We don't know. But now it doesn't matter because whether the New York Knicks get him or not, whether he agrees to the Golden State $31 million offer just to stay on their payroll while he rehabs or not, he's not going to be playing for anybody. So the balance of power suddenly shifted in the West. And what that really does and the point that I made originally was that it changes what a Houston Rockets thinks. Because just when they thought their window had closed, now is it closed? I don't know. And then at the same time. Kawhi Leonard now in some ways holds the balance of power because if he stays in Toronto they're a favorite I would say if he goes to the LA Clippers I would consider them to be a favorite especially in the West the way it's now composed because between Kevin Durant and Klay Thompson tearing his ACL and potentially missing a good chunk of next season the Golden State Warriors are now even more vulnerable than they were this season injuries got to them. And unfortunately for them, one point I didn't make the first time, so now I'm going to pull a Dave and I'll add something that I didn't mention the first time. One thing that the Klay Thompson thing does and the way the injuries compiled in this NBA finals is that the Golden State Warriors had gotten kind of lucky In in this dynastic run of five straight finals. They had avoided a lot of very high profile injuries. They didn't have injuries to Kevin Durant the last 2 years. They didn't have major injuries to Klay Thompson the last two, couple of years. And Steph Curry had for the most part been able to play. So their core had been mostly intact during those NBA finals, and they had been the beneficiary of some injuries on the other on the other team. Especially Houston can tell you that last year Houston might have been able to beat them if Chris Paul hadn't gotten hurt. So they've been the benefit they've been on the receiving end of a lot of good injury luck. And this True. is one case where it just didn't work out for them. It's the exact opposite. All of a sudden, you got hit with all the injuries. Part of that also comes from playing 80, an 82-game regular season and another 20 or so games in the playoffs and doing that for five straight years. For some of your core players, that's 500 games. If That's a lot about, of basketball. If you think about that in context, the likelihood of you injuring yourself goes up the more of those additional games. In a way, getting to game six for Golden State actually turned out to be one of the worst things that could have happened to them because in the end, they didn't win the title anyway. And Clay Thompson injured himself in a game six that didn't result in anything good. Again, it's luck. It happens. It's part of the deal. I think that covers the main items. So as far as the NBA championship, is there anything else? Any other thoughts you have on that?
0: No, I don't I mean, you know, we could get into like minutiae details. I don't think that's really necessary. It's just the people that that stepped up for the Raptors deserve the kudos. All the kudos, man. Like Kawhi's gonna get his his praise and absolutely he deserves it. But let you know, we needed people like Fred Van Vliet and Serge Ibaka, my man. Gasol. To to step up, Gasol. Like the and they did. they did they didn't always, but they did when they were needed to, right? Whenever whenever the Raptors needed whatever they needed, they got. When they needed Kawhi, he was all world. When they needed somebody else, somebody else stepped out. It wasn't always the same person. You know, game one, it was Pascal Siakam. Uh, He had a great game six as well. Uh, But, you know, games two, uh, three, four, five weren't as good. But, you know, somebody else was picking up the minutes. And I feel like the depth on this team and the all-around camaraderie and teamwork, you know, was just too much for a a less than, you know, 100% healthy, obviously, Golden State team.
1: I think that's fair. But you know what? You bring up an interesting point. So I'm going to leave the NBA Finals topic as a whole, but I'm actually going to play off of it for a second because you brought up something that that triggered something in my head. Here's a question for you. Based on the way that this NBA Finals went and the model of what the Toronto Raptors did and Masai Ujiri did, there's two things that come out of it that kind of strike me. Number one, he's rebuilt the idea of the high-profile player rental because whether if Kawhi Leonard does not stay... They still got the result that they would have wanted. The best possible case scenario for a one-year, for one-year quote-unquote, rental. If he do, if he sticks around, great. But if he does not, you couldn't have asked for a better outcome. Does that make other teams consider that kind of a gamble in the future with a similar caliber player as a Kawhi Leonard if they became available in similar circumstances? That's one. And number two... Does this remake the model of how you build a championship team? Because if you look at the way the Golden State built its dynasty with the type of players they got, they got a Kevin Durant, they had a Steph Curry, they had a Klay Thompson, they have a, you know, Dream on Green. They had all these great players, and including a couple of top tier like, uh, you know, Steph Curry being a two-time MVP, Kevin Durant being a two-time finals MVP, Klay Thompson having the capability of going off at, at any time and being absolutely explosive. The Toronto Raptors did it with, one legitimate two-way superstar who is acknowledged as a top-tier player, and then a bunch of other players who are quite good, but not nearly on that level. It wasn't like the big three in Boston or what they did with Cleveland, where they got you know LeBron a second star, or what they did in the Miami Heat, where you had. Dewey. Or what
0: they, or what Golden State's done when Durant joined.
1: Correct. So it's a different model of building a championship team in a, in the world of sports where we like to be copycat does that make a lot of teams rethink how they build their team so do you need to have the super team then
0: or is no i don't think you do work? but i also think and i've read a bunch of articles on this today that the raptors model isn't exactly an easy one to follow
1: any decent model isn't that's that's right? the whole thing
0: you know you know based on a, a variety of factors and, and the way things played out in terms of trades that were either made you know, getting rid of Bargnani, or or trades that weren't in. You know, the fact that Lowry was on the chopping block multiple times and they didn't end up trading him. You know, or really, I mean, honestly, it's a ballsy move to to trade Derozan. I mean, obviously there were other pieces, there were some picks, there was Jakapodol. Danny Green was in the in the trade coming to Toronto, he but also basically got, he two, also got rid of the coach. Well, yeah, the two main. But I'm talking about the trade. The two main yeah. pieces in the trade are Kawhi Leonard and Demar Derozan, sure. and you know, if it doesn't pan out, you know you've traded away a fan favorite, and and what do you? But you know what? From luckily for Raptors fans and for Masai Ujiri, it couldn't have worked better, right? And they got rid of the coach, and Dwayne Co- Casey is a great coach. I, I have a lot of respect for Dwayne Casey. I like Dwayne Casey, and and you know he's he's done well this year in Detroit. But they they got rid of him and replaced him with Nick Nurse. And some people say, well, do you really need to do that? But you know what? It's hard to criticize. When the moves, it's easy to, sorry, let's put it, it's easy to criticize people when they don't work out, and it's hard to criticize people when they do.
1: That's fair. I think the main takeaway I have, though, is that, kind of, to be honest with you, from an intrigue standpoint, because uh, because I think I made clear, I like the storylines. The storylines make the NBA more interesting. I like some of the idea. I like the idea, and I'm hoping that some of the second-tier teams that aren't quite there at least consider the Raptor model of just reaching a certain point where, like, we know we can't go any further. Just go for it. Because at that point, Masai Ujiri was saying, I know we cannot get any further. We, there's no. They could have kept DeMar DeRozan, and they would have been a good team. They would have gotten to the playoffs. They would have maybe won a round or two. And then it would have been a lot more of what you've already seen. But in this case, they went, and they went all out. And they got rid of a couple of players that people liked. They got rid of a coach that people respected. And they went with it. And in this case it worked. But I, I, I think that teams should at least consider if your team already has no hope anyway, because they're they plateau and they hit a certain level and that's it, what's the harm in going for it? Because if you're not if you're not in a position to win the championship anyway today, right now, the worst that happens is you you digress, well then fine, rebuild it. But if you at least try, that's where you can, you know, nothing ventured, nothing gained is the point that I'm trying to make. There's a lot of teams and a lot of general managers that are quite content to build a good team that will be consistent that will get to the playoffs that will maybe win a round or two and then and then bow out and then we'll repeat this process next year and it never goes anywhere further i kind of like the idea of somebody reaching a point where go i know for a fact that if i do nothing this team will be good but i'm going to try and if it doesn't work it could be disastrous but if it works well now you got a trophy
0: yeah exactly and and you know you can't criticize that. You worked out. You you did what you thought was best for the team. You took a chance. And, you know, after so many years of almost being there or, you know, having LeBron James turn Toronto into Lebronto, you also – and you also know that you have a window now because LeBron's gone. The East, as we've said multiple times on this program, the East was wide open, right? That's when you go for it. And, you know, if it doesn't work out, well, you know what? You're probably going to be in some sort of rebuild mode anyway.
1: Yeah. We'll talk about this more later on, but the reality is Toronto may very well have been a one and done. This might be it as far as this particular team is concerned, but the fans won't care because, uh, and this is a point we've already made, Kawhi Leonard is a made man in Toronto. If he sticks around I think he would be, it would be beneficial
0: I talked about the new balance the King of the North campaign is a pretty strong one I think. No, for sure, and don't forget that uh, Joey Votto has offered him an unused presto card
1: the the gifts the gifts the tribute just just keeps coming it, it's it's absurd and and I'm sure Drake has endless shoulder rubs as many as the man needs like he's apparently good at that that's that's his thing I guess
0: oh just don't don't get me started on Drake <laughs> like the respect level for Drake like I just got so so sick of Drake this NBA playoffs and last night was like the icing on the cake as to like what the hell are you talking? Did you hear Drake's post game? Com- com- no, um, I did.
1: No, I. I, okay, oh, well, I watched the post game oh, a little bit, but I did not catch anything about Drake. I.
0: Oh, now you Carlos, need to tell, me. tell me the. Words. So he he starts going on about how poetic it is, you know, oh, the sixth and six. Was it God's right? play? And no, Was he didn't get to plan? that. But then he started talking about. It. He's like, I like my chips. He's like, but I want my chips with dip.
1: And <laughs> like, this is why this man is. All- I don't care. I refuse to acknowledge his quote unquote music career. He is the the Degrassi kid. I
0: refuse to acknowledge anything further. And it's like, what? I was like, just stop talking. Like, (laughs) just stop talking. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's not about you. Like, and then it was like, well, you saw some of the footage, right? So it's like, here's a shot of Jurassic Park. Yeah. and And then Drake has his own little like private booth off to the side and like, Here's a shot of Drake jumping off the couch. Yeah, did they Who expand? the fuck cares about Drake jumping off the couch, Carlos? I don't care about Drake. I don't care about his little private area that he's popping champagne. I don't care. Would like,
1: you would you care if he was jumping off the couch with tattoos? <sighs> because that worked with Oprah.
0: Yeah, but that that's a that's a you know what? That's a ho- if Oprah was there, sure. But without Oprah, the cu- jumping off work? the couch means nothing. It doesn't work? Fair enough.
1: Okay, I get you. Yeah, I noticed that actually. I correct me if I'm wrong on this because the Jurassic Park isn't new. They didn't invent it this year. They've been no, it's been around. It's been around for several years. Yeah, they've been doing that for this for the post seasons for the Raptors the last couple of years. But that section that you're talking about with Drake, that's new, right? Like they built like a stage.
0: To my knowledge, that is new.
1: Yeah. Okay. Because I I was like, what the hell is that? Do They got like a stage? Like, I'm guessing they play. I guess they play music over there like before the game or something. But it's like. Here
0: it's like if you want to, not only can you watch the game, you can watch Drake watch the game. For the love of God! Why man. were you not in Jurassic Park watching Drake watch the game? Just like, <laughs> like you know what I mean. Like I, I have a whole list of things that I would rather watch than watch Drake watch basketball. You know, like here's the thing: I have no issues with Drake's music career or 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 his music. I, I have, some. but I know I know you do. But th- the thing is. And I and I didn't mind when it was like Drake's going to be a global ambassador because it's kind of cool. He's a big name supporting the Raptors, whatever, you know, and for like a couple of games a year when they have Drake night. I'm sure they it's kind of cool. You, they, you know that I listen. OK, dude, I'm like, I, I, I realize you don't follow basketball, but Carlos, man, you like you need to step up. your like, your No, day I, day I, day I day genuinely day. don't want to. I, I, I enjoy living in ignorance of Drake
1: night. Drake night, I feel, does not impact my capability of, of discussing what I watch on the court.
0: So, anyway, yeah, Drake night's a thing. I have a t-shirt from the one I went to. Not because it was Drake night, but because I I was given free tickets and it happened to be Drake night. How often is this Drake night? Is
1: it once a season? What's It's name?
0: like two, maybe three times a season.
1: Okay, and what happens on Drake night, other than Drake?
0: All right. Uh, I Well, not really anything. Sometimes they have, like, a special... A special jersey or a special, like, they'll wear, like, they have the OVO jerseys. You know, Drake's there, but which isn't really a big deal anymore. Can, can we, you know, can that we do- they gave away free t- Drake t-shirts, Drake Knight t-shirts.
1: You know, I, I'm wondering, Dave, just a question. Do you think we could explore the possibility of doing, like, an off-season trade? Do you think we could trade celebrity superfans? Could we, like, trade Drake in a pick for, like, Jack Nicholson or something? I would do that. That would be pretty done.
0: sweet. I, uh, done. I, that'd be. Like, I don't even care who the pick. Freak, I'd trade Drake for Drake. I'd give, yeah, I'd give like more to L.A. You know what? Like you can have Drake and, uh, Bieber. you know. They can have Bieber. Yes. yes. Done. Yes. Done.
1: We'll give him Drake, Bieber and a pick. Done. Just give us Jack and we're good to go.
0: Done. I'm there. I'm signing up for yeah. that deal right now.
1: I, I feel like that's a thing that needs to be a thing is what I'm trying to say. Yes. I, and at this point, given the given the dumpster fire that the Lakers are, I think Jack Nicholson would agree to this trade. He'd waive his no trade clause. Um, yeah, probably he'd come down. You know, heck, I'd take Spike Lee for a while. You settle know? down. <laughs> settle down. I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm going I know it's. I know it's late. I know you're sleep deprived, Dave. Don't say anything you will regret forever. <laughs> settle down. I'm gonna need you okay. to stop right there.
0: Just a question for you though: Go Would ahead. you take Spike Lee if he wasn't a New York Knicks fan?
1: The problem with Spike Lee is that. I'm not going to get off on a long tangent about this, but the thing about Spike Lee that I don't understand, is he really a Knicks super fan though? Or is he just a guy who has enough money to buy a lot of tickets to the Knicks? Because all he does is heckle other players and then motivate them to kill the Knicks. It's like, he's not very good at this. It's not not a Spike Lee curse. It's more like a direct impact. It's like, Spike Lee is annoying me. I am going to
0: torch this team now. No. Also, speaking of curses, uh, clearly there is no Drake curse on the Raptors. So how about Drake don't cheer for any other sport ever again. Just stick to basketball just in a way that we don't have to notice you. I'd be okay if you cheer for the Yankees. Well, fair enough. I would be too.
1: Yeah. We can we can always arrange that as part of the deal. No, that's good. I think as far as the NBA championship, we are good. Again, congratulations to Toronto Raptors. Congratulations to the longtime Toronto Raptors fans. I refuse to call you long-suffering because I already talked about the St. Louis Blues, and if you listen to my story about the St. Louis Blues, I would argue the St. Louis Blues fans are much more long-suffering. However, with that said, congratulations just the same. Well done. One other point I'll make, because unfortunately it was missed on the cutting room floor when the uh, technology failed me the first time. One thing we did touch on was the impact, the potential impact, of this Raptors NBA championship on the youth the potential future generations of basketball fans that were generated by people watching this, you know, this playoff run. And one point that I made was that there is a a documentary on Netflix uh, called The Carter Effect that you can check out that was produced by LeBron James and Maverick Carter, Uh, you know, that tandem. And it's actually quite well done. I got a chance to watch it. It's quite good. And it's a good indicator for you if you're not familiar With the impact that Vince Carter was able to make in his brief time in Toronto, just by being a a very popular player and giving the franchise some hope. Because in the earliest days of the franchise, it was Damon Stottlemyre, who was a good player, but he was never a real, like, star player. Vince Carter was the first, like, star player into borderline superstar player, who's still playing. And he might break the record for most seasons played if he get if he manages to suit up for a team next season. So it's kind of cool that his career has lasted this long. But he was the first guy to like put Toronto on the map for basketball, really. And the impact has been felt to this day with a lot of uh, Canadian NBA players. So it is something worth noting. It is kind of an important thing that happened. And this could be a catalyst for something similar for the next generation of basketball talent.
0: Absolutely. And let's hope it is. But I'm pretty sure it will be.
1: Ah, for sure. Sounds good. So I think as far as that's concerned, I think we're good with that. Uh, I'll leave it to you. Do you want to talk about what we're looking forward to?
0: Yes, let's go with what we're looking forward to, and and I'll go through. Well, first of all, I'm looking forward to not having to watch basketball for a while because I'm not sure my heart could take much more basketball. So I said the best thing about Game 6 was that there isn't going to be a Game 7 because I'm not sure I'd be able to handle that. Uh, So I can focus now, focus in for at least the next little bit on other things, other sports. So really the only thing I'm going to, I'm just going to keep it to one thing. And that is actually really starting to pay attention to the Women's World Cup. So yes, that is pretentious cross-country running taking place in France right now. And Canada won their first game against Cameroon 1-0. And tomorrow, which is Saturday, they're playing New Zealand in the second game, uh, which they should beat, but we'll see what happens. Uh, but, you know, to really take a stranglehold on their group if they do. So I'm looking forward to that. And then obviously the continuation of that throughout the week and, and into the early part of July.
1: So since you bring it up, it was since we're, since you were talking about the Women's World Cup, I wasn't going to give the pretentious cross-country running intro. But question, do you actually have any thoughts on the, uh, on the U.S. celebrations
0: against Thailand? I do. So here's the thing. Honestly, I, I, I mean, I've, I've obviously heard a lot of stuff about it, in different takes or whatever. So I think I think this is a fair take. Now, one, you know what? If the team is going to play poorly enough that you can score 13 goals on them, put in 13 goals. Because as we've mentioned multiple times, nobody just wants to see you just pass the ball back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. So if, if you can get 13 goals, that's great. And now people like, okay, so here several points. Now you're going to get me on a bit of a tangent. But first of all, Alex Morgan, who scored 5 goals in that game and was celebrating like she'd never scored before. Well, her one of her things is like, well, some people have never scored in the World Cup before and they dream of this. Fair enough. You have and you you scored 5 goals in that game. Okay? Tone it the fuck down. Hey? Okay? Second of all, people saying, "Well, would you complain about the men's team?" You're damn right you would, right? If as we and this is the best tweet I saw on this, okay? If France ended up playing like, let's say, some random CONCACAF team, because let's get into the hatred of CONCACAF again. So let's just say, let's pick some random thing. Let's say, I don't know, um, Martinique. Although I think their players play for France. Let's say, okay, let's say Saint Vincent and the Grenadines. Let's say somehow Saint Vincent and the Grenadines gets into the World Cup and they're playing France, and they're just getting destroyed. And Paul Pogba starts doing some Paul Pogba esque thing. On the thirteenth goal and some crazy celebration. Are you telling me they're going to be like, ah, oh, well, it's a men, so go ahead. No, you're going to be telling me he's a pretentious asshole because he is at that point. You don't do that. So here's the thing. Granted, I know where soccer is, but if I'm the American women now, right? If I'm in a game that is isn't in doubt, I bet you they're going to get fouled a little harder than they would before.
1: I think that I think that would be a fair response though for for me. Uh, I will say. I don't have a stake in this, but I did. But since you brought it up, I thought it would be interesting to ask. But I will say there is precedence for this already. So it's one of those things where, like, Alex Morgan, you don't have to look very hard. Let, let me give you a simple example. I've talked in the past about the state of women's hockey. It's it's better now internationally than it's ever been. But for a long time, it was just Canada and the U.S. were the only legitimate teams in women's hockey. So if you went, looked at the Olympics or the, war, or, you know, the World Championship— There were basically two teams who had a real chance to win, and that was it. And they got to play a lot of teams that are traditional hockey powers who were just not developed. So they would play like a Russia or they would play like a Finland or a Sweden or whatever, who in men's hockey were good. They were were at that top tier. But the Canadian and uh, American women's teams, for a long time, they could destroy them 10 to nothing. They could destroy them 15 to nothing. They could destroy them 20 to nothing. I didn't watch a lot of those games to be honest because you knew they were gonna, the other team was going to get massacred. I would hope that they wouldn't go off and on gigantic celebrations given that they were expected to destroy that other team. It wasn't going to be competitive, everybody knew it.
0: And Yeah, the- now I would say I would say women's soccer at this point is at a more overall is at a more competitive place than hockey, women's hockey was when we are talking about that stage. True, but Thailand is
1: on that level where they are one of those teams who, while they can qualify, will get destroyed by a superior team of that caliber.
0: Right, but you don't have as many of those teams as you, you know. But still, yeah, like, you know what I mean? I think that's a fair and valid um, comparison. But yeah, no, I have an issue with it. Now, I have a feeling that generally some people who have issues with it have a bigger issue with it because it's the American team and, and people love to hate America, especially at sport because usually the Americans are pretty good at it. You know, so I think that enters to it as well, but there's no need, right? If it's your first world cup and you've never scored before, that's fine. Like I get that. And I understand that. And I think that's a different story, but that's not what was happening, right? You had, yes, you had people who scored the first world cup goal, but you had lots of people who have been in a world cup who have been at this before have won the world cup who are still acting like i think very immaturely and very inappropriately that's my personal opinion so we'll see what happens right but you know a win is a win they've got their 13 goals right you know hey whatever it is what it is at this point but at the in the long term i hope we don't see that again if it happens
1: that's fair so you're looking forward to the women's world cup anything else going on
0: no, I'm gonna keep it to one because I think that's all my brain can handle at this point in time
1: fair not even not even uh, not even the CFL did you catch any of the highlights from your Ticats cats game
0: I did uh yeah so you know obviously I'm hoping that on next week's podcast we actually will get into the CFL a lot more uh, but obviously we need to devote the time that we did to the Raptors because you know it's important and it's a huge story they actually won a th- uh, but yeah but I I mean the the tie cats won. So they're home opener. So that's great. And although there was a big hit on the quarterback and there's a new thing we'll talk about, I think we'll just leave it to next week. Right now, I'm just going to say I'm happy they won and let's move on.
1: Yep, that's fine. Just make a note Oscar of it. Oui, oui. Yeah, just make a note of it because uh, I think uh, I did, I believe in the early part where I recorded it, I think I made reference. We're definitely going to probably get it in some CFL because, you know, our good old canadian content. plus it's football in the summer so that's all, that's what we got. hockey's over, basketball's over, outside of the off-season uh, shenanigans and uh now it's going to be a bit of a dry spell because the jays uh yeah. Uh... Uh... Anyway, so the only thing that I'm looking forward to and one thing that I'm looking less forward to, so I'm looking forward to watching the U.S. Open. Want to catch the tail end of that at Pebble Beach, so that should be good. A lot of good golfers in contention. And then I spent about, about two minutes trying to figure out what else I was looking forward to. We don't have hockey. We don't have basketball. Baseball is questionable. I'll watch some games. That means that I am reduced to the uh, week one CFL. Two games on Saturday. Woo. Week one CFL, you guys. We CFL, CFL, CFL. We did it. We did it. And then uh, Dave's brain melted down, and uh, I- I'll I'll leave it out for his pro- for his benefit. But I just want you to know that it happened. It was it was beautiful. Steam came out. It was great. It was spectacular. But I think that's it for us. That is what we're looking forward to. We will come back next week. We will probably talk a about- little bit about the CFL. We're not going to do a season preview because the season has literally already started. But that doesn't mean we can't talk about what we think may occur. And then uh, see what may come from a CFL season and our mandatory CRTC Canadian content. Very important. With that said, for myself and Dave, that is episode... Oh, one last thing before I go. I did mention it in the opening intro, but I'm including you in this part, Dave. You realize this is episode 20 of the Unnecessary Nonsense Podcast. Two zero. We did it. Woohoo! We made it. Uh, That's about 19 and a half more than I thought we'd get to. It's a beautiful moment. Well done. Good job by you. Yes, yes, yes. All right, last shameless plug before I cut it off. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on YouTube at Unnecessary Nonsense Podcast. Just type it in. You can check out archived uh, versions of the podcast. All of these go up in addition to the podcast items. They goes up on the YouTube channel. You can see a lovely static image of our faces in cartoon form. That's always good. And if something major happens, I didn't do one for the NBA championship because I had already done one for one of the early pieces. However, if another major news item comes into play, If Kevin Durant, you know, takes over, fights space aliens or something cool, then I will make a video on that subject and it'll end up on the YouTube channel. Outside of that, we will catch you on the next episode of the Unnecessary Nonsense Podcast.